to this place you're invited to come and know god's grace all are welcome the love of god to share because all of us are welcome here all are welcome in this place will you join me Welcome to this place, you're invited to come and know God's grace. All are welcome, the love of God to share, cause all of us are welcome here. All are welcome in this place. One more time. Welcome to this place, you're invited to come and know God's grace. All are welcome, the love of God to share, cause all of us are welcome here. All are welcome in this place. peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself about three deep breaths to be drawn into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, let us worship in beloved community.
We do welcome you to this time of worship, wherever you are, and whenever you may be seeing it. We trust in the Spirit to hold us together even while we are apart. If you're new to this worshiping community, perhaps checking us out from the comfort and familiarity of your own home, a special welcome to you. Feel free to reach out. It'd be great to chat, to get to know you, to hear your story, answer any questions you have. We're available for distance meetings outdoors or for phone call or Zoom conversation. Love to connect. And let's join together as one body in our community prayer. Let us pray. God, we have tried throughout our lives and our life together to be faithful. We recognize that harm is even done by those trying to do good. We repent of ways in which the church has excluded others on the basis of God-given identity. We repent of the ways in which we ourselves have been hurtful in our practice of the faith, not grasping the true heart of the gospel. We commit ourselves to understanding the true way of Christ and ever grow into your vision for the world. Amen. Our prayers continue in just a few moments of quiet. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and set free. Know this and be at peace. Amen. Hello and welcome to the time of discovery. I uh, brought Ben with me today because I had a couple questions for him. First, yes, you usually start making a Christmas list like in July. That is true, yes. But what's up with this year? We're like at the end of October and where's your Christmas list? Um, okay, so I don't have that much money right now. Okay. So <clears throat> I haven't really been going out and, you know, uh -huh. don't want to get sick, so I haven't really been going out. Good for you. But that's usually where I get most of my ideas. Mm. And and also, I haven't really been with my friends for them to tell me all these cool mm, things. So you're lacking ideas. I know. Oh my goodness, I have just the thing for you. It's this. A piece of paper. Yes, it's a piece of paper. Everyone should probably have gotten this in the mail this past <clears throat> week. If not, you'll get it in the mail this coming week. And it is filled with all kinds of great gift ideas. So, in the <clears throat> absence of a list, I'm going to look through here and... <gasps> Maybe for Christmas I can buy Ben some pizza. I like pizza. I know. Ex is it extreme pizza though? That's the best. Pizza. Uh, it does not say. We do not know where it's coming from. Mm. Or how about a dodgeball? Don't I know you really love dodgeball. Know where I would play it though? Like if I just have these foam balls that mm. you get me. Well, guess what? Even if I buy those, you don't get them. I'm sorry. Wait. I know. How rude, right? But not rude, because here's what's happening. 
hopefully next summer, let's cross our fingers, there'll be a middle school mission trip. <clears throat> yes, those are fun. Yes, you will go on that. I hope, know. Right? And so you go to Santa Cruz. I'm telling him things he already knows, but maybe yes. you don't know. And you work <sighs> at a boys and girls club, right? Yeah. In fact, you did that, not this past summer, unfortunately, but the summer previous. And you threw a pizza party for yes, them, right? Yes, we did. So, $500 worth of pizza. Yeah. So these are our kids, usually from low-income families, that don't often get a chance to have a pizza party. And so it was very special to them. And you just said you spent like $500 on a yeah. pizza party. That money came from this. It's the Alternative Christmas Fair. So what happens? At, why do we not have a confetti? Oh, oh, that would be so cool. Um, anyway, so there are all kinds of organizations. I gave the example of our middle school mission trip, but all kinds of great nonprofit organizations. And so what you can do is you can buy a gift for the nonprofit organization, but you can buy it in honor of someone. So now I'm going to buy him a dodgeball and a pizza, and I'm going to get a beautiful Christmas card, and I'm going to write to Ben in the card. Ben, in your honor, I got a dodgeball and a pizza to support the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that does. That makes you feel special, right? And then um, let's pick out one more, maybe for my mom, your grandma, right? Mm -hmm. Um School supplies, you know yeah. she's a fan of education. We're looking mm. through our brochure here. There's so many choices. Maybe pajamas. Pajamas for someone who might not be able to afford warm, fuzzy pajamas. And then we'll get a nice Christmas card for Grandma, Ama, we call her. And right in that, we bought you pajamas. Uh, in your honor, we didn't buy you pajamas, we bought pajamas in your honor for the Marin Foster Care Association. Uh, so a great way to not only give people in your life a gift in their honor, but then to support some wonderful nonprofits. So, yeah. hope you'll get into that. Um, take a look at the brochure, look through it with your families. And right after our video, uh, we are going to have two different videos from two of the organizations that are a part of this Christmas fair. And in fact, for the next several weeks, we're going to highlight videos from each of these organizations so you can get to know them just a little better. Thank you. I'm Kirk Ludwig and I'm a deacon. The deacons have chosen Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, PDA, as our recipient of the Alternative Christmas Fairs donations this year. PDA's tagline, Out of Chaos, Hope, crystallizes their mission statement. PDA focuses on caring for communities and individuals who have been impacted by a crisis or a natural disaster. 2020 has been a year that so many individuals have suffered, either from the wildfires or the COVID-19 pandemic or social injustice. Consider giving to PDA this Christmas. Your donation can and will make a difference in the lives of someone who has perhaps lost their home to a fire or lost their job from the COVID-19 pandemic. PDA brings hope communities and families and individuals around the world. Thank you for considering PDA for your 2020 Alternative Christmas Fair donation this year. God bless. Hi, I'm Mark Sachs representing Men's Connection. This year, we're sponsoring Bridge the Gap College Prep. Founded in 1995, the mission of Bridge the Gap College Prep is to provide comprehensive educational, social, and emotional support for Marin City students. Their goal 
is one day to help all Marin City students be prepared for, choose to attend, and successfully graduate from college. Their hope and belief is that education can change lives and change the community. Today, Bridge the Gap College Prep serves nearly 130 students, or 40% of Marin City youth. We're offering two donation options to support Bridge the Gap College Prep. A $10 donation will provide school supplies for one student. A $20 donation will provide one day in the Bridge the Gap Learning Center hub for one student. Thank you for your consideration. As you can see, there are things to celebrate and things certainly to be praying for. Uh, it's great to hear some of the stories of and numbers of people who are doing so much for our community. We need good news like that, don't we? Uh, so we want to take an opportunity now to share uh, any joys you may have. Uh, of course, you can write them in the comment box. You could share them with the people in the room. Uh, and we'll give you a moment to do that as I'm talking. Also, we want to take this time to share any kind of concerns you might have whether they be for you, yourself, your loved ones, uh, on a bigger level, some of the organizations that we heard from, I'm sure they have some things they'd like for us to pray about as well. So as people continue to write in any joys and concerns, why don't we take a moment and you can read those comments and also uh, be in prayer for one another. So let's have a moment of quiet. God, we are grateful for the work of so many people in our community and around the world uh, whose stories don't always make the front page. God, we are grateful for their effort. We are grateful for the effort of people in this beloved community, in this church. God, we also pray for those who are suffering, those who are hurting, whether it be physically, spiritually, mentally, financially, in whatever way people may be suffering today, God, we ask that your spirit be with them. We ask that you put it on our hearts to be with them as well, that we can be a part of the healing in their lives all around the world. And God, we seek to do this informed by the prayer that your son taught us to pray, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Hello, Westminster. I am here with Dominic. I'm going to share the anthem with you today. Uh, you know, as you look throughout the history of the church, so many times people have been rejected from church because of who they are, because of what they look like, because of who they love. And so we just want to share this song with you today. Come as you are. 
all are welcome, all are loved by God. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let healing begin. Come find your mercy, a loved one come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Lay down your Some exciting news to share. Just last week, the session, the elders, voted to resume indoor, in-person worship in just a few weeks' time. It will, of course, be offered with a limited capacity, reservation only, lots of safety protocols in place, 
And of course, we will continue to stream this service as well as our other programs so that those of you who still want to be cautious, do not feel safe returning to anything inside, have just as much access to all the offerings of the church as you have throughout the pandemic. My thanks to the elders and all those who've labored tirelessly to deliberate carefully, to consult with experts, to develop extensive policies and procedures based on county health department information. It's been a team effort and it feels so good to be coming home. As we move into this time of serving, you'll note that the scripture passages have not been read up front and they won't be read now. They'll be interspersed with my words for reasons that will become evident in just a few moments. Today marks the final in our sermon series on troubling scripture passages. I, for one, am a little glad. It's a bit of a slog to wade through some of these topics, as important as I think they are. I mean, I suppose we could have simply acknowledged from the outset that scriptures were written in very different times, in very different places, and we're not biblical literalists. We know what's a metaphor and also what's merely a cultural influence on the passage. We can pick out what we want and sort of leave the rest aside. But my conviction has been that there's so much lost in doing that, that there's something to be gained by taking these remnants from the ancestors that reveal their wrestling with their own existence. There's something that we can take and apply to our own lives, that our own wrestling with our existence might be blessed by encountering theirs. Look, you may still find portions of the scriptures to take issue with, but so often in my ministry have I seen people turn away or be turned away by scriptures they actually didn't understand. And so what is intended to be a path to faith becomes littered with obstacles. In fact, it becomes an obstacle itself, it, the Holy Bible. And so we turn to one final question to try to remove some of those obstacles. Now, it's a question that may have been resolved for you for some time. It's a question that has been resolved in the life of this congregation now for decades. But it's still an important one. That is the inclusion and the affirmation of LGBTQ persons into all ministries of the church all offices of the church, and if you ask me, all offices of everywhere. Why bring it up if it's so resolved around here? My experience is that many who are affirming think they are affirming in spite of the Bible. And similarly, many who are not affirming proclaim they are not affirming because of the Bible. What if I told you the Bible may not mean what you think it means when it says certain things about sexuality? That's what I want to talk about today. Jack Rogers was a pillar in this denomination. 
He was moderator of the 213th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA, theologian, a scholar, and expert on biblical authority. And so it made sense when the pastor of the church he attended and a friend of his in Pasadena asked him to serve on a committee at the church to study the issue of gay ordination. It was 1993, and that issue was at the heart of a divide in the church, threatening to pull it apart altogether. And Rogers said no. He was conservative, evangelical in his leanings. I know those terms aren't perfect, but it gives you a sense of where he was. And in fact, he was against gay ordination, but he didn't want to take it up as an issue. Nevertheless, uh, as a favor to his friend, the pastor, he agreed. And he joined 14 other members to form a committee to study the matter. They looked at the sociological and psychological aspects of the question. They talked to gay and lesbian Presbyterians and their family members. They studied church governance and they studied the scriptures. And in that process, Rogers changed his mind. Or rather, the spirit changed Rogers' mind. In studying the scriptures, his mind was changed about homosexuality. He details this in his book, Jesus, the Bible, and Homosexuality, Explode the Myths, Heal the Church. I commend it to you. I'll lend it to you if you'd like. Among other things in it, he meticulously works through what have been come to be known as the clobber passages. The, the verses in scripture that supposedly condemn homosexuality and are used to clobber people who would like to argue otherwise. And I'd simply like to walk you through his discovery, passage by passage. Now, I know that's not a typical way I would preach, but it's fruitful in this endeavor to see verse by verse what is said and what is meant. Now, obviously, given the subject matter, there will be some strong sexual content to this sermon, and so you may listen uh, accordingly and with those around you accordingly. So, let's begin. Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, 1-29, and the rape of the Levite's concubine in Judges 19, 1-30. The stories are grouped together because they're quite similar. Each of them features uh, a man, a host of home, who is visited by strangers, travelers, foreigners. And so he does what he ought to do. He offers them hospitality and invites them in. But word gets out, and in each story, the host is surrounded by locals who are angry, a crowd, a mob, and they demand that the visitors be released to them. And the inference and the implication is that these foreigners will be killed or raped. 
Now, something offensive, if that wasn't enough, is about to happen. Because in each story, the response of the host is to instead offer up female members of his family to the angry crowd. What is going on? Well, it's interesting. You don't see the crowd uh, light up with delight at that offer because that's not primarily what they're after. You see, in the ancient world, as we're reminded by scholar Dale Martin and others, for a man to have sex in a forcible way with another man was a way of showing domination over them. And it was particularly offensive because it put the other man on the receiving end in the position of the woman. And in a patriarchal society, that is to be inferior. So you may be offended by the passage, but you might want to be offended by something other than you started out being offended by. And we know this is so because elsewhere in the Old Testament, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is not described as homosexuality. The sin is all about welcoming and protecting the stranger, the alien. Elsewhere, it's described variously as greed, injustice, inhospitality, excess wealth, indifference to the poor, and general wickedness. This is how Sodom and Gomorrah is condemned elsewhere in the Old Testament, not same-sex love. The Old Testament laws of Leviticus 18 and 20. Now, I know some of you have enjoyed being in the Leviticus class that Jeff Schenkel uh, led in recent weeks. And if you were in there, you will remember that one of the ways in which ancient Israelites formed and maintained their identity was through a holiness code that told them what practices were acceptable. And by our measure, patriarchy again shows up here. Hierarchy shows up here. Theoretically, a child could be put to death for disobeying their parents, which would not be helpful if they were doing distance learning during a pandemic. I will tell you that. Thankfully, that's not our reality. And in fact, it's unclear whether that uh, ever happened, even though it was ordained by the Holiness Code. Well, as I mentioned before, a same-sex act between men placed one of the men in the position of the woman. And this was not allowed in the Holiness Code precisely for the reasons I said before, because it violated the order of things, the patriarchal hierarchy. Well, we don't seem to have a need, hopefully, to hold on to the patriarchy. Why do we feel the need to hold on to the heteronormativity? Moreover, as Rogers points out, the act in Leviticus is seen as ritually unclean, as were many acts then that we partake in today. And Rogers reminds us that in Matthew 15, Jesus says with respect to food laws, which also deal with cleanliness, 
It's not what goes in the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth in speech that makes one clean or unclean. What Rogers calls New Testament vice lists found in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. Each of these passages centers around a critical word. In Greek, it is arsenikoites. In 1 Corinthians, this gets translated in various Bibles that you may have or have read as sodomites, the New Revised Standard Version, as sexual perverts, the Revised Standard Version, as homosexual offenders, the New International Version. The word homosexual entered the Bible rather recently, you'll notice. But scholars such as the aforementioned Dale Martin, as well as Brian Blunt or Marty Nissanen and many others argue that it is not at all clear what that word meant. In fact, it likely refers to some form of sexual exploitation. Another translation of the word, I looked it up myself, is pederast. And pederasty was a practice in the ancient world whereby grown men would take and keep other younger men or boys by our standards for their own gratification. So perhaps what's being condemned here is that practice, a practice I hope we, too, would condemn. The book of Jude. Did you know there was a book of Jude? It's just a single chapter in the New Testament. It's the only work in the Bible that refers to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as sexual immorality. I already told you the Old Testament doesn't. It does. But according to Rogers, Jude 7 draws a parallel between the unnatural lust of angels who wanted to have sex with human women. You can look this up. Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Genesis 6, 1 to 4. And the men of Sodom who wanted to have sex with male angels, Genesis 19, 1 to 29, a passage I referenced earlier. I bet you didn't know this stuff was in there. I wonder if Bible study attendance might grow now that you know it is. But again, the violation here is with respect to hierarchy, not knowing your place in the order of things, humanity and angels interacting in a way that is inappropriate. It's not about a same-sex partnership between equal consenting adults. Doesn't mirror anything that we have. Just like there's little or nothing in the Bible that mirrors the heterosexual unions we have today. There was not equality then. Whether or not we have it now, we at least aspire to it. Romans 1 and the problem of Paul. And this may seem like a tougher one. Paul writes in Romans 1, for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way, also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. 
Rogers, the operative phrase is for this reason. Because Paul is writing from and critiquing the city of Corinth, this sort of wild seaport where all bets were off in terms of morality and conduct. Paul offers what I just read to you in the midst of a long list of idolatrous activity, and the result of that activity is that people give themselves up to degrading and unnatural practices. It may be a cheap comparison, but Las Vegas tends to enter preachers' minds when they say things such as this. But does this mean that all same-sex passions and activity is degrading? It's unclear. It doesn't say. And Paul's understanding of what is and is not natural would be interesting to know here. What is natural matters. Even if we know for sure, Paul thought that it was unnatural for two men to be together in that way. We know something else about nature. We know that homosexual activity is widely documented and recurring in the animal kingdom, for example. Now, we would no more hold against Paul his ignorance that the sun was the center of the solar system than we, or rather, we wouldn't hold that against Paul. So then why would we hold it against Paul if he didn't know that homosexuality was, in fact, a natural occurring phenomenon? Now, Rogers actually doesn't even go down this road. He merely points out that when Paul uses the word natural, what he's referring to is conventional, society's conventions. And he's suggesting here that Paul is offering a critique in this wayward city for not following what are more widely accepted norms in the larger culture. And the tricky thing about Paul, and it is tricky, is that sometimes Paul advocates for conformity to the ways of the world, and other times he's adamant for nonconformity and transformation. That's it. That's all of them. That is all of the clobber passages. And that's remarkable that they could all be referenced in just that amount of time. Do you know how many verses are devoted, on the other hand, to God's concern for the poor and the oppressed? 3,000. How much weight we devote to each matters. Many preachers don't devote the proportions of the scripture in their preaching. And many who do, or those who do, are all too quickly labeled that dreaded, too political moniker. Jesus, for example, he's been absent in this sermon so far, have you noticed? At my last church, we would print up these brochures that said what Jesus said about homosexuality, and we'd show up at pride parades and put them out on a table, and when curious and slightly tentative passers-by picked them up, they'd open them to find they were blank on the inside, because Jesus Christ never once 
addressed the matter. Look, you might still take issue with some of what's in the scriptures, but first do the work to make sure you understand them. You see, you don't have to simply cut out what seems to be amiss at first. Rogers concludes that there is nothing in the scriptures that speaks to the kind of relationships we see and affirm today. There is just no analog. And so I hope you recognize in this exploration, as in the ones in the weeks prior, that there's so much to be discovered when we stay with it and open it up. May your way be made more clear. Some of the obstacles removed, the roadblocks taken away. May the scriptures again become a pathway to your faith, not leading you away from it. And may your load now be lightened for this journey, even as you now take more of this book with you. Amen. continues to be a lot going in on in the life of this beloved community. Just last night and the night before, we had our middle schoolers, high schoolers, friends, and adult leaders all together watching movies, bonfires, putting together some furnishings for the, for the new building. So exciting times, trying to figure out how we gather safely. Um, and this coming week, uh, we will be gathering virtually again but this time over Zoom. So please do look in your e-news or your uh, web browser at wpctiburon.org to find the link if you'd like to join us over Zoom. Of course, we will be broadcasting live on Facebook at the same time, and we will post to YouTube uh, and our podcasting platforms later, in the, later on that day. Uh, you heard Rob talking about the possibility of us gathering together in person in smaller numbers of course sometime in the future but if you can't wait for that that is okay because today is your lucky day we are worshiping outside in the church parking lot today at 4 30. if you would like to join us it is not last minute send a message to bethany so that we uh, can properly prepare and if today isn't good but you still would like to do that worshiping with the wonderful people of this church, 
uh, outside at the church. November 8th, we'll be doing it again at 4.30, so you can join us then. Would you join us in singing our closing song, Unspeakable Joy and I Come With Joy? Please join us now in our closing song. We are going to sing with joy. creator, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our sustainer, go with you now and always. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.